This is Enjoy Cherokee Voices, a podcast recorded live to deliver in-depth conversations with dynamic people from all corners of Cherokee County. Listeners like you sink into this weekly podcast to learn more about the people that make Cherokee County extraordinary. And now it's time to get to know another neighbor. Here's your host, Jody Drinkard. We have a great show for you today. I'm very excited. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Mayor of Woodstock, Donnie Enriquez, and actually it's pronounced Henriquez. And I'm here right now with Katie Wheeler. Katie? Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. So yeah, Donnie, he has got some great stories. I was really shocked to learn. Well, first of all, he's been mayor for or in public service in Woodstock, serving the community for more than 20 years, I think, mm-hmm. when you total Impressive. it. And the amount of stuff that has changed since he's been in office is unbelievable. Right. Just a touch of what we're going to cover. Five businesses in downtown Woodstock when he first arrived until now, which is one of the most celebrated booming cities in Georgia, if not one of the best. You're going to learn about his life from a child growing up where he didn't have to lock his doors in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana, (laughs) to sleeping in foxholes in Vietnam. Wow. Mm -hmm. He has great plans for people here in Cherokee County, being able to walk from Cherokee County all the way to Alabama without having to get off the trail. Wow. Those are the things we're going to cover today. That sounds like a great show. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, you should be. Very interesting. You ready? So here we go. Enjoy the show. Medicare, what a headache. Where do I sign up? When's the enrollment period? Who can keep up with Medicare and all that other red tape? I'll tell you who. Bonnie Dobbs with the Bonnie Dobbs Agency. Bonnie and her team know all the answers when it comes to Medicare and other red tape. They might even help you find benefits you didn't even know you qualified for. Call Bonnie today if you're turning 65, retiring after 65, changing your living location, losing employer or union insurance coverage, or even if you're being released from incarceration. Hopefully that last one's not an issue, but if it is, Bonnie can help you with all things Medicare. Bonnie Dobbs is a licensed insurance broker who specializes in senior health benefits. There is never a fee for services, and you will never get that high-pressure sales runaround. Call today at 770-373-7541. That's 770-373-7541. here with Mayor Donnie Enrique from Woodstock, and uh, he has just told me I'm welcome to call him Donnie, and I'm going to take you up on that. So, welcome to the studio. Appreciate it. Mayor Donnie, Donnie, it's it's hard for me to say that. It's going to be weird to walk around Woodstock saying that I don't know the new mayor, because you have only nine months left in office. Correct. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about... What brought you here? So you were born and raised in the great state of Louisiana, New Orleans. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. You were born and raised in Louisiana. You were in the Air Force. You were in the Vietnam War. Yes. You graduated from LSU. LSU-NO. In New Orleans. Okay. Yes. U.S. uh, LSU-NO. You spent 10 years in the hospitality management field. 
10 years in sales and man- sales management. You're a chef. You have been a chef. You're a restaurateur. You are most recently an author. You're also a husband, father, grandfather. And I understand the family is growing, continues to grow. Yes. And you were five or six years in the city council. And then more than 15 years, you'll be in office as mayor. Is that right? Uh, pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's start at the beginning. What was life like as a child in New Orleans? Well, it was like any other really small town. Uh, New Orleans is known as a big metropolis, but in reality, it was a small town. It was, I mean, you can unlock the doors at night. Uh, It was was idyllic. I lived in a close-knit neighborhood called the Irish Channel. I am 53% Irish, even though my last name is Portuguese, uh, which is a unique fact. Uh, but it was it was fantastic. You know, we, we roamed the streets, played at the playgrounds. Uh, it was it was just like a low country town, actually. Can't do that very much anymore. Not no. lock your doors, and did you have to come home when the street lights went on? All that kind of exactly. fun little town stuff. And where did you go to high school? I went in the Irish Channel, uh, a Catholic school called Redemptorist High School. Uh, it was uh, over 100 years old at the time in the late 60s. Mm. So uh, it's now closed. It was merged with another school. And unfortunately, they were ravaged by Katrina in 2005 and never reopened. Really? Has it been demolished completely now? Yes, it, I believe now it's a townhome community. Oh, that has to be heart-wrenching for you. Yeah. yeah. Do you get to go back occasionally? Oh, yeah. I go back several times a year. As a matter of fact, through Facebook, uh, we just had our 50th high school reunion. You had a restaurant right there in that area then, didn't you? Yes. And just outside the Irish Channel, I, I owned a place called the Laurel Street Wharf. Uh, and it was in a little neighborhood uh, restaurant and bar. Uh, and it was it was fun. It really was because... A lot of my friends came in. So, what possessed you to open a restaurant? Well, I got my degree in hotel restaurant management and had been working in restaurants all through college uh, just to support myself. Uh, I had a single mom; she couldn't help me in college. Uh, luckily, I had the uh, GI Bill, which helped quite a bit. Of course, back then tuition is not what it is today, so the GI Bill pretty much covered it, uh, tuition and books. Uh, but I needed to earn a living, uh, outside of that. So I worked in restaurants. I mean, I really enjoyed the work. Uh, you were, you were constantly busy. So it wasn't like you got bored after school. I continued to work in the restaurant business, eventually opened in Laurel street wharf, uh, in, I believe it was in 1981 and, uh, had that for a couple of years and, Sold it, got smart, and <laughs> uh, said, uh, I'm tired of working 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So that's when I went into sales and then sales management. But I was always dealing with the restaurant industry in sales. I want to back up just a little bit. When you were done with high school, did you go right into the service? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, I turned 18 on September 6th, and I was in basic training on September 10th. Holy cats. I only gave you time to pack a bag. Well, there was a reason for it. Um, I went to register for the draft, which we had at the time. 
uh, about a week ahead of my birthday, and the uh, gentleman behind the counter started laughing at me. What? And I said, why are you laughing? And he said, because you're number six in the draft and you'll be gone in a week. Really? So I went across the street to the Air Force recruiting office and joined. I'd rather have my choice of which service I wanted to to be in. And you were able to say at that point, I I choose the Air Force. Did you have to have special grades or anything like it, it was a little different from the other armed services um, that you had to have a high school diploma and you had to have, a, you know, at least a C average and you had to take uh, aptitude tests uh, before they even accepted you, which was totally different from the Army and Marines, which were uh, getting most of the draftees. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a little bit different. And uh most cases you got to choose which vocation they trained you in. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> funny story there is I was scheduled to go to interpreter school to learn Russian in Rochester, New York. And from my background, I couldn't get a top secret clearance. From uh, your background? Yeah, just the way I grew up and, you know, friends. Because you didn't lock your doors. <laughs> no, <laughs> friends that got arrested and, you know, it had a reflection on me and that's the way they looked really? at things back then. Yeah. So they wound up making me and uh, put me in an administration. From there, uh, later on, I got into uh, drug and alcohol abuse counseling office, which was called Social Actions. And that's the name of the book, if you know that. Yeah, it wasn't that Patrick Haney, Patrick Haney, is that his name? Correct. That was his profession as well, wasn't it? Exactly. For those of you that don't know, this was a book about Patrick Haney. Yes. And a social actions, a Vietnam story. Correct. It's a story about this young man who's just like my background, went into the service right out of high school and, uh, followed the same career path that I had, but uh, some extraordinary things happened to him uh, throughout his career in the Air Force. It first started in Vietnam and then to Thailand and then followed him back to the States. Is that the same route that you took? It is. People say how much of it is true. I say about 30%. It's fact-based fiction. And they say, which which 30% is true? I said, I'll never tell. Some of the fiction is based on hearsay, Ah. That when we were there, um, I didn't know for a fact that this particular thing happened, but uh, we heard rumors in the military. Rumors are often found to be true. So for those that haven't read the book, can you just explain a little bit more clearly what your job was in the military? Sure. When I went to Vietnam, they assigned me to an office called Social Actions. And this encompassed the drug abuse, counseling, and testing, and race relations. Why they put those two together, I don't know. Uh, But my main job in the beginning was to take names off the computer on a daily basis, inform the commanding officers that these names had to be drug tested the next day. Just random? Just random. Came off a computer, just random. Naturally, everybody wanted to be my friend, thinking I knew ahead of time, uh, you know, that they were going to be tested, but it didn't work that way. Uh, So from there, I got into a little bit of counseling, uh, 
probably by osmosis. You know, I was supervised, obviously. It was interesting. Uh, We had a very large drug problem. Obviously, everybody probably knows about that. But even bigger problem was the alcohol abuse. Mm. Uh, We had a lot of the veterans, older veterans, that uh, were heavily indulging, and it really severely affected their uh, physical capabilities. And so that was a big part of it. Hmm. Yeah. That seems like a very depressing job, actually. Sometimes it was. Uh, Most of the cases uh, were not success stories, but when they did have one, uh, it was kind of rejoiceful in the office Mm -hmm. that uh, people said, yeah, we we accomplished something. Did you see much action? Uh, I say action. Were you, like, in combat? Did you see things... Yes and no. Um, I was not in action per se uh, in the field. That was left up to the Army and the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, we did get uh, shelled every night. Uh, by, every night? Every night by rockets. Uh, had some friends get killed uh, oh. that, I, that I knew through the barracks and things like that. Uh, and then towards the end, when Nixon decided he was going to slowly withdraw the troops, we had to do our own guard duty on the perimeter. And that was done, of course, at night. And that was probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. Really? Yes. What did that entail? Walking? No, I was assigned to uh, basically a foxhole. Uh, it was a bunch of sandbags uh, built up. And I was in there with a uh, full-time security policeman who was always on uh, perimeter duty. And I was there to supplement him. You hear something in the wire. You don't know what it is. They don't give you the password. You shoot. Oh, my God. So it was was very scary. How long were you on that type of duty? Uh, Not too long, about three months. That seems like an eternity to me. Well... You did it about twice a week. Holy uh, everybody took their turn. And uh, I dreaded having to do it, as I'm sure everybody else did. I understand there's a possibility of a uh, sequel. Yeah. Is that going to take Patrick Haney into the mayorship position? No. Oh. That will never happen. No? No. Um, yes, I started writing it in late 19. And then continued into the beginning of 20, and then COVID happened. Now, you'd say, okay, you got more time to write. Yes, you do, but when you've got your wife sitting there doing her job in the same room, it's very difficult to concentrate on the writing. So yeah. uh, I put it aside, and, and I'm just starting to pick it back up again. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Do you need a landscaping team that does more than just cut the grass? Trust the professionals at Elite Landscaping Services. With 20 years of successful service, they have the tools and know-how to transform your yard into a paradise. They offer residential and commercial services such as fertilizer and weed control, landscape design and installation, landscape management, aeration and seeding services, tree and shrub care, mosquito control, and much, much more. For a free quote, give them a call at 678-680-5434. In 1990, you moved to Georgia. 
Yes. All right. What brought you to Georgia from the Great Pelican State? Well, I had lost my job down in New Orleans, and my wife is a doctor of audiology. She can work anywhere. You know, she walks into an interview, and they hire her on the spot. So I had two brothers who had been living here since the early 70s, and they kept trying to get me to, to come. And so we said, okay, let's give it a try. So your two brothers lived here in Georgia. Where about? Uh, one in Marietta and one in Norcross. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the one in Norcross is now in Florida, and the one in Marietta is now in Cumming. Ah. So he's still here. But uh, we came in 90, uh, lived in Roswell for three years, then we moved to Woodstock in 93. And your wife, Jan? Yes. She was working as an audiologist in Norcross? or No. We were in Roswell, and she worked at Piedmont Hospital in an ENT office. Mm, okay. And then uh, she worked there for, I believe, four or five years. And then we opened up her private practice uh, in Town Lake, and we were there for 17 years. So in 93, you moved to Woodstock, and in Woodstock, you moved right to Town Lake. Yes. That was kind of developing at that point, is that right? Oh, yeah. And that's when the Ward 6 started forming? Correct. And what triggered you to say, hey, I think I might be interested in running for city council in the new ward? Well, that's a funny story. Let's hear it. Uh, The mayor at the time in 99, David Rogers, was recruiting for this new position, uh, which was required by the census. And he was recruiting people and wasn't having much success. And I had known him through different business associations. And we were at a function, a charity function. He says, you know, I'd like to talk to your wife about running for this new council position. He was recruiting your wife. Yes. Okay. And he knew her much better than he did me. And I said, I don't think she'd be interested. You know, she's got the private practice she's very busy with. She's also getting her doctorate in audiology at the time. And I asked her about it. She was absolutely not. And I told him the bad news. He goes, well, can you recruit, help me recruit somebody from your neighborhood? Because that, that was the entire ward. I said, okay, let me see what I can do. Long story short, I told him I'd do it. <laughs> and that's history. Did you run unopposed? No, I had two uh, two opponents, uh, but I won about 68% of the vote. Mm, you were pretty popular. Well, I was active in the community, which my two opponents were not. Mm-hmm. And that was the difference. People knew my name. How many people sat on city council at that time? Six. That would I was the sixth one. And that's still the case now. They're yes, it is. Right? Yeah. You were on the council then for... Four, guess, four years. years, yeah. Were you and the mayor at that time, did you become good friends? Oh, yeah, absolutely. David and I were very close. I understand he had some tragedy in his life at that time then. Yes, he uh, contracted cancer. Uh, in, he told me in June of 2000 and in September of 2000, he passed away. That's horrible. Yes, who took his place then? Yeah, we had uh, the mayor pro tem fills the position until we can have a new election. Mm-hmm. And two of the council members, one was the mayor pro tem and another council member, both had to resign to run for the position. 
and uh, the mayor pro tem won the election by very close margin, and uh, he served until '06. And '05 there was an election. Yes. And you ran. Were you running against the incumbent at that time? Yes. Mm-hmm. And tell me about that election. You seem like such a likable guy, just so calm, cool, and collected. And I just don't see you out there like kissing babies and <laughs> getting all excited, you know, like vote for me. You just seems you're just so easy going. I, 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 I'm struggling to see you as a very excited person to get, get out there and vote for me. Well, um, you know, my management style has always been easy going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I let people do their jobs until I think they can't. And then I get involved. The mayor I ran against was not like that. He wanted to be involved in everything day to day in the city government. And that's not what this mayor's job is supposed to be. It's a part-time position. It's called a uh, city manager, strong council form of government. I only vote in the case of a tie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't tell a council member what to do. Uh, I can suggest, give them advice, but uh, I understand my role. And I think people picked up on that in the campaign of Mm -hmm. 05. They knew me from my days on council. Uh, I was well known in the community, uh, being in different service organizations. And uh, I think it came across during the campaign. It got a little nasty. Ooh. Uh, but not as bad as some of them I've seen here locally. Uh, but yeah, I uh, think we got a share of that recently. Yes, we did. Then, so you've been mayor now. This is your the end of your fourth term Correct. as mayor. What is the biggest challenge that you've had so far as mayor? What was some of the biggest hurdles you've had to cross? The biggest one was in the beginning. Um, when I was on council, two things were going on. There was a, uh, a fracture amongst the council. It was basically three to three. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were voting against an idea just because it was the other side, kind of like we have with Washington today. I was going to say, are we talking about the world today? I yeah. don't know what's happening. Okay. It, that's what it was like. And the other thing was the cities, none of the cities would even be in the same room as county government. No kidding. No kidding. It was just, it was so acrimonious, it was ridiculous. Mm. So my goal in my first year was to fix both those problems. It took a little while. Uh, We had a changeover in council members, which helped. And the first thing I tell people when they come into office is forget the campaign. Mm -hmm. Forget what was said by anybody else You're here to represent the people and do your job. So you cannot hold grudges for what somebody said. And then secondly, we started working with the county. Uh, We had a good change in the county commission chairman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Mike Bird took over. I had known Mike fairly casually for a couple of years through different committees Mm -hmm. and We sat down and said, yeah, we have to hammer this out. I mean, they still had some of the same county commissioners, but at least there was a leadership that could point them in the right direction. And so it took about a year, year and a half 
to overcome those two problems. But uh, we did succeed. That is a remarkable hurdle to get over. All right, Donnie has a lot more to share with us. But it's our goal at Enjoy Cherokee Voices to keep our podcast right at about the 30-minute mark. And for this reason, we're going to cut it off now and create part two, a second podcast where you can hear more about Donnie Enriquez and everything he did for the city. Be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss part two. We're going to talk about how he and the city council led Woodstock through the 2008 recession by pivoting and planning to create an award-winning city. It's, It's great stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks for listening. Now, get out there and enjoy Cherokee. Enjoy Cherokee Voices and Enjoy Cherokee Magazine are produced by EMI, a nationally recognized award-winning multimedia content producer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. For additional information about this and all of our podcasts, visit enjoycherokee.com. If you enjoyed this show, click subscribe and take some time to rate and review the podcast now. It really does help us succeed in the booming world of podcasts.